This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentlemen of Bird Campbell, PA, with law offices in Florida and Texas. Bird Campbell means business. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 137 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, December 2nd, 2018. We are already into December. It is almost 2019, so the end of the year is approaching. Uh, Duke has a bowl game assignment. Duke has rebounded, I would say, from their from their their lone loss in the Maui Invitational and are back on course, so let's get into all of that. I am your host this week, Sam Klein, coming to you now as I usually do from Durham. I'm joined, of course, by Donald Wine in Washington, D.C. Donald, good evening. How's it going, guys? Uh, it was a long weekend, uh, but a very, very fun weekend uh, because I am now officially 36 years old, which Whoa, is scary. Happy birthday, big guy. Thank you. Yeah, it was a good it was a good weekend. Uh, I had some friends in town uh, from all over the place. Uh, and made a nice weekend of it. So shout out to all my my friends and my family and everybody who uh, wished me a happy birthday. Um, it was a good year, and this is going to be a good year. And it was in I got to watch some Duke basketball in the middle of it, which is terrific. Always great. And in Atlanta, Georgia, Jason Evans. Jason, how you doing? All right, so I'm going to reach through the computer, through the internet, and strangle Donald for being scared of turning 36. Donald, I'm 51. Five one, I can remember <laughs> thirty six. It was glorious. My body didn't ache when I woke up in the morning. I mean, it was. You don't know how lucky you are. Wait until you get to be forty five. Wait till you get to be fifty, my friend. So and then you, complain to me. <laughs> can you channel? Can you? I don't know how how you can do this if you can take uh, the DeLorean back in time uh, to oh. find your old self, uh, your, your younger self, I would say, and let him know to tell me how he does it because uh yeah my body is aching this morning <laughs> guys i'm There's... still i'm still in my 20s for about six more months uh, i hate you both i hate hey. you guys so sam this doesn't concern you this the 30s doesn't concern you i'm coming for you <laughs> oh. um no don't don't worry i'm i'm deteriorating quickly as well so i'll get there um just just wait for me anyway uh we can we can stop talking about um about the human condition and perhaps talk about uh, something lighter, which is uh, Zion Williamson in air, perhaps. <laughs> uh, so Duke, Duke had a pretty good week in basketball. We'll 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 talk a little bit about the bowl selection at the end. Um, not as exciting as the as the basketball games, admittedly. So uh, Duke beat Indiana on Tuesday. It was ninety to sixty nine in Cameron Indoor. It was it basically, that close? It wasn't that close, was it? Yeah, it, it wasn't. It didn't it feel like really, it. It wasn't really much of a contest. Uh, in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And then on Saturday, uh, Duke hosted Stetson and the Hatters. And uh, it was like 12-11 Stetson a few minutes into the game. And then uh, Duke ended then up winning like 100. 90, then it was 90-11, to 11, I think. Yeah, <laughs> and then it was 113-49 it was to 49 at the end of it. I said that maybe if Duke hadn't screwed around uh, for so many minutes at the beginning of the game, they might have been able to triple Stetson. Um, but uh, unfortunately, all they did was... Uh, was over double about two and a half times Stetson, Stetson score, which is still pretty good, pretty good. 
Um, Stetson's ranked like 330th or something in Ken Palm. So that was probably to be expected. We'll take both of these games together because um, neither of them was especially close, although one was to a much against a much better opponent than the other. Jason, do you have some, do you have any big, great takeaways from, from either of these games? Duke is really, really good. <laughs> um, I, I mean, Indiana was a top 25 team, or at least on the fringe of it, and we utterly dismantled them. Um, we, we, we were leading 53 to 29 at halftime, and, and when then we came out in the second half, and, I, you know, I, I, I want to know, are we watching perhaps the most fun Duke team of all time? This team is just, it's a joy to watch. Uh, it's a joy to watch them on both ends of the floor. I thought one of the key takeaways for me this week was I really thought that um, Duke is playing much, much better defense. Not that their defense was bad in the past, but it feels like they are playing even better defense. They're getting, they're getting out in the lanes. They're contesting passes. Teams are having to start their offense further and further out. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how much better these guys can get but but it looks like they're looking for ways to get better and and I want to talk really quickly about RJ Barrett because I thought in both of the games this week um RJ was uh was hammered in the wake of the the uh the loss to Gonzaga for for paying for playing hero ball we talked about it here on the podcast a lot of people talked about it on Twitter and elsewhere coach K thought it was so bad that he was that he had a press conference where he he after the Indiana game, he talked about how upset he was with Duke fans for not backing R.J. Barrett. Um, I really thought that uh, R.J. did a much better job of looking to involve his teammates. Um, he he had some sloppy ball handling against Indiana. Um, I, I can I can understand that because it's sort of hard to maintain your focus all the time when you're beating the snot out of an overmatched opponent. And and can we just for one second can we dwell on that? an overmatched opponent. Again, Indiana, a sweet 16 kind of team, uh, certainly a round of 32 kind of team. They didn't look like they were on the same planet as the moment of that game where it looked like they could really threaten this Duke team. And I feel like this Duke, you know, I, I harken back. You, I, I, I'm trying to remember which one of you it was. I think, Sam, it was you that asked me about the 1999 Blue Devils. I mean, I ask you about the 1999 Blue Devils all the time because yes. I feel like yes, it's, the, I. <laughs> it's the comparison we always have to make to everything good, right? Yeah, and and I I feel like this club is starting to steamroll teams the way the 99 Blue Devils did. Now, let's be clear that the rest of the ACC is much better than it was in the ACC, aside from Duke, was terrible. Only Maryland and North Carolina made the tourney that year, um, and the ACC is probably going to send eight, nine teams or so to the tournament this year but it still feels like this is one of those duke teams that that doesn't mess around it doesn't let lesser teams stick in the game for very long uh, i'm having a tough time seeing how we lose more than you know maybe like at uva at unc maybe one other game this year that uh, you know will even be competitive uh, i just thought this indiana win whew, uh, we we looked scary scary good um donald what you got Donald, you wait, know, wait, I, hold I, on, hold on, Donald. Let me let me pose this to you in the in a in a question because I don't I don't need us to to keep drooling over over how good this team is against against mediocre opponents. Um, Indi Donald, wait, Indiana's not mediocre. Indiana I know, I know. is not mediocre. They're I'm not. Aware. The game was in Cameron. Let's, <laughs> Donald. <laughs> Donald, who do you think should be the starters right now for Duke? 
Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, that's well, what I let's, know. So I, I'm going to break your question down and read between the lines because you're not asking about the first four. You're asking about the fifth starter. We, I mean, we know who I, the fifth I'd be – look, if you, had, if you had thoughts on anybody, um, even, even within what you would consider the first four, um, feel free to share them. I need I, – I think Jack Thomas Bartholomew White should be starting. Um, and and I, I don't know who that's in place of. Um, because I think that can change depending on who we're, who we're facing. But right now he's giving us the energy that we need when he comes off the bench. And it's not to a point where I think that he should be on the bench and use that energy. Cause you know how some people are feel they exercise that role better as the sixth man. I think he's at a point now where his energy is needed from the opening tip. And, and, uh, and then that's not to say that the energy is lacking, you know, throughout the game, but his energy is something and his leadership, I think is something that the team could desperately use on the court at the beginning of the game. Because when we see how we've been playing, even with these blowouts, you mentioned with Stetson, it was 12, 11, you know, I think with, with Jack white starting that energy will make it so that we put teams away from the opening tip and dominate from the opening tip because I think what what we're hoping that this team will eventually grow into is a team that comes out, it smells blood before they even take off the warmups and go out and, and just destroy everything in its path. Because I think this team is capable of doing that. But to do that, you need leadership on the floor. I think we have some of it in, Ty, in, a, in a Trey Jones. Uh, I was going to get to him in just a second, but I think Jack White, uh, would also provide that leadership and provide that energy that's really going to get everybody motivated. And then from there, the rotations, I think, would still be uh, something that Coach K could deal with. Now, before we go back to Jack White, let me talk about Trey Jones for a second because I thought he had two very interesting games. I thought he had two great games against Indiana and Stetson. But if you look at his stat line, you probably are like, what happened against Stetson? He had zero points but he had seven assists and at no point did I think that he was, you know, dragging down the offense or anything like that because he was playing typical Trey Jones basketball. Um, He only took one shot, which is unlike him. He's usually taking maybe, you know, six to eight shots a game, I think is what he's averaging. You know, someone would check me on that. But uh, I think when it comes to what he was doing in that game, he was trying to be the facilitator. And I think he was, he's been very good at that this year. But it was still very interesting to see kind of a stat line. Uh, it reminded me, I'm pretty sure it was Quinn Cook back in like 2014, 15, that had a game where he had like zero points in, in 10 assists. Uh, but no, at no point did we feel like he was, you know, dragging down the offense. He was really motivating the offense with his d- distribution. That's what Trey Jones is really doing. But I was also very, very happy to see him once again assert himself offensively against Indiana because I thought his 15 points were much needed and came at key points of the first and second half that really took Indiana out of it and made, you know, kind of demoralized them because they're like, if Trey Jones is getting 15 points on us, we're not winning this basketball game because if you have Zion cam and, and RJ all in double figures, and now you have Trey Jones, where, where are our points coming from? There's it's just the math doesn't add up. So uh, I'd shout out to him, but yeah, I, getting back to Jack white, I think it's time for him to start and, and just at least for a couple of games, especially with some of these games you have coming up, let's see what he can do in the starting lineup. You know, it's interesting that you 
that you called out Jack White. I think you, I obviously led you in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, after the game on Saturday night, last night against Stetson in the post-game press conference, Coach K specifically called out the contributions of Jack White and Trey Jones and said that even though they didn't score, he said the two most productive players we had today were the guys who didn't score. And that it was those two guys. And he was talking about all those things you just mentioned. So you are in lockstep with Coach K. And I happen, I think, to agree with you that especially against opponents that don't feature the kind of size that can really challenge Duke, the, the kinds of opponents that would look at Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett as big men, as like true big men. Um, I, I would rather see Duke playing Jack White more minutes and, and Marquise Bolden only coming in in, in spot opportunities. I, I think we, we were hoping at the beginning of this season that Marquise Bolden was going to develop more than he has. And we're still not seeing it. I think that it's a shame. Um, and it's not ideal for Duke because because they would rather have a center on this team that doesn't otherwise have a traditional big man. But it, it seems like he he still isn't quite getting it. Um, and and it's that that seems concerning to me. Um, not against not against the opponents that don't have the size, but against opponents with size, against the UVAs and the UNCs of the world. Um, that's a challenge, Jason. What do you? What do you think about that? I happen to love Jack White coming off the bench because I think it gives us a huge variety of options. Jack's versatility and the versatility of much of the uh, other guys in this lineup. Uh, it means that Coach K can can look at and evaluate how guys are playing and where the game is going when he inserts Jack into the lineup. And you guys are right. Jack brings a ton of energy and he brings a ton of passion. And I think getting that you know, four or five minutes into the game is an advantage for Duke um, that maybe wouldn't be there if he was starting. And we were like, okay, let's say he's starting and when you're struggling a little bit, you go, okay, wait, am I bringing in Delorier now? Or should I bring in Bolden? Or I don't have anybody I can bring in in the backcourt. I guess maybe O'Connell. I mean, Jack gives us the versatility off the bench. I, I don't know why you'd want to mess with what's working really well for him. But but I'll say something else. I, 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 I'm not ready to, to say that Marquise Bolden is you know is struggling and and uh, you know is incapable of helping this team or something like that. I think he's doing things we're asking him to do. He is protecting the rim tremendously effectively. Um, this guy is blocking shots at a huge huge rate. Um, he had three blocks in 23 minutes against Indiana. If you think Indiana wasn't aware that he was back there, you're crazy. And and a lot of these guys on this Duke team, Zion Williamson. Um, R.J. Barrett and Trey Jones, especially, like to they like to go for steals. They like to press the perimeter a lot. Um, and if you don't have a guy like Bolden who's capable of protecting the rim, um, protecting the lane, it's not just the rim because he has he's got such movement um, uh, and and he can you know get himself up there so high. Uh, I think Bolden um, is a huge part of what we're doing on defense. I'm I'm kind of surprised, Sam, to to hear you. I mean, he's not doing a lot on offense. I get that, but we're not asking him to do a lot. Um, I mean, and we, I we think I, I I think that you're overvaluing the the defensive contribution because the like I I I understand that he's a space eater and that he um that that he does that the, the point you made I think is the best one about about the value that he brings, which is uh, allowing the perimeter defenders to be more aggressive and to do and to do more things that allow them to get out on the fast break, right? It, it, it gives them a little bit more security for that. Um, I just don't know that that's, that that's outweighing, um, 
like sometimes guys get into the get into the lane against him, and Bolden doesn't have a choice but to foul them. Uh, it, it it just seems that he's not he's not quite up to speed with where the game is. Um, he gets himself in 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 good opportunities sometimes. I I just don't I don't know. It, it it doesn't seem like he's he's playing at the same speed as everybody else. And when Jack White comes in, it's like it's like all of a sudden the offense works exactly the way it's supposed to, even if he's not the one scoring. Um, it, that that that's the part that's impressive to me. Even though Jack White is more of a perimeter defender and doesn't have as much um, as much to offer down low, but he's still he's still effective enough. And and to kind of be the guy in the middle, I my uh, rationale for believing that Jack White should start really has nothing to do with Marquise Bolden. It has everything to do with Jack White and what I think he brings to the table and what I think we need at the beginning of the game. Um, you know, if you're thinking about the end of the game, obviously it's not always the starter that's going to uh, be that person that you rely on down the stretch. But, it, you know, in general, you're think, you're saying that the five people that start the game are the ones that you are going to rely on down the stretch, you know, barring, you know, Injuries or or, or no, foul no, trouble no, or anything like no. that, but no, I just hold on. I disagree about that. There are tons of teams where the guys who finish are not the guys who start. Right. Well, I, no, I, but so you I, you didn't let me finish. What I was saying ahead. is, what I was saying is, is when you when you have starters, that is the general idea, right? But there are absolute instances of where the sixth man, seventh man, even an eighth man are the people that you go to down the stretch. I mean, if you think about even in the NBA, like Quinn Cook. You know, when he wasn't starting for the Warriors, he was still one of those guys that sometimes down the stretch, they called on him to be the guy. And and it's not necessarily because Steph was injured. It was because of foul trouble, whatever. But whatever that was, sometimes you're relying on those people. But what my point is, is that I think that when it comes to Marquise Bolden, he it does not factor into the equation when I think about Jack White starting. It is about Jack White's energy and about his bounce and about what he provides that I think we need right off the bat to take teams out of the game before that first TV timeout that I think is really, really uh, warranted and something that should probably be investigated over these next few games. Uh, look, uh, I mean, if, if Coach K decides that, uh, you know, I'm fine with it, I, I, I want to be clear that I do think Duke's best lineup. If you know, if we're in close games down the stretch, I think that probably, um, you know, based on what we've seen so far, Jack White should be in the ball game down the stretch. So I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I just again go back to I love the versatility he gives us off the bench. I I like the way things have been going with these starters. And if look, if if Cam looks like he's not really into it, you can bring in Jack for Cam. If Marquise Bolden looks, you know, is struggling a little bit, maybe picks up some fouls, you can bring in Jack for for Marquise. Zion's gotten in foul trouble. You know, maybe RJ is trying to do a little too much one-on-one stuff as opposed to moving the ball around. There are a lot of options that Jack gives you. He can come in for any one of those guys. I don't know why you'd want to limit um the the bench options for this team i i hear you donald about you know wanting us to get off to faster starts um i just i i just love the role that jack is playing so far and and if you look at his minutes played he's he's playing starters minutes he's playing as much Mm -hmm. as anybody on the team so uh you know whether whether he starts those minutes at the 
20-minute mark of the first half or at the 16-minute mark of the first half, I don't know that it makes that huge a difference other than giving us a little more versatility to see where things are going at the start. All right, let's uh, let's take that discussion and kind of start looking forward at the next few games. So Duke has... Um, Duke's playing Hartford on Wednesday night in Cameron and then Yale on Saturday. I figure that we'll uh, we'll see these next couple of games and then tag back up. Um, Jason, is there, you know, kind of thinking about the lineup and, and thinking about how the, there's still a little bit of tinkering going on. Uh, is there anything in particular that you want to see, uh, you want to see Duke do against Hartford or Yale um, this next week? Uh, so first of all, the Hartford game, um, Hartford is number 215 in Ken Pomeroy. They already have losses, losses on the season to Central Connecticut, Utah State, Utah Valley, Iona, and Sacred Heart. Don't Central ask Connecticut, me why. Central Connecticut, of course, the other Blue Devils. Yes. yes. I, I don't know why they played both Utah State and Utah Valley. They didn't play them like back-to-back. Like, for some reason, Hartford went to Utah twice. Okay, sure. Uh, but in any event, um, uh, Duke Duke is going to crush Hartford. There's nothing, you know, they, they Hartford is not as bad as Stetson, but they're close. Uh, there's absolutely nothing that we're going to see in that game. Uh, I don't think that's going to be all that meaningful other than, um, you know, uh, we'll probably get another 12 or 14 slam dunks and we'll make some plays that'll show up on SportsCenter and that'll be a lot of fun. That's fun to watch. Hey, that's great. But I mean, it, you tell me that the, the line on the Duke-Hartford game is 35 points. I'm like, okay, I'm picking Duke. Yale is a whole different story. I want people to understand how good this Yale team is. Um, ESPN's Basketball Power Index, BPI, gives Yale almost a 10% chance of winning this game. We're talking about a game in Cameron against an Ivy League team that doesn't have a single player on scholarship because the Ivies don't do that. Well, well, and, they, uh, well yeah, well, uh, okay, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Yes, caveat, um, caveat, caveat. Continue. Right. Yes. Um, ESPN says Yale has you know eight and a half or nine percent chance of winning this game. This is a Yale team that has already beaten Cal and Miami. Donald, I'm sure you know about this. They crushed Cal. They beat Cal by 17 points. They won this week at Miami. They went on the road to an ACC team, an ACC team that many people think is in the top 25, an ACC team that's probably going to make the NCAA tournament, a legit team at Miami, Yale won. This Yale team can really score. They average about 85 points per game. They play at a fast tempo. So this is going to be one of those games that's going to be played in the 90s. I really think that's going to be the case. And they can really shoot. They hit 42% of their three-pointers. And of their six leading scorers, Five of their six leading scores hit better than 40% from three-point range. And the amazing thing is, against Miami, they only hit 22% of their threes, and they still won the game. They were down 15 points, and they just scrapped their way back. They kept on fighting. They kept on hitting the boards. They didn't let Miami get any offensive rebounds, really. Um, it wasn't a matter of getting hot. It was a matter of just fighting, fighting, fighting. And this Yale team could be a legitimate, you know, kind of a little bit threat. For Duke, I'm really interested in seeing how we do against what's going to be a very, very disciplined team that knows how to hit perimeter shots uh, in Yale. Donald, did you? Uh, you're a Miami fan. Did you? You see what Yale did to Miami? I did see what they did. I didn't watch the game, but I did see what they did. But 
it kind of leads me to the point that I wanted to make about Yale is that Yale is a tough team because Yale is always a tough team. Uh, I, I think you guys can go back to 2016 or as a 2015, 2016 season where we played them in the early part of the regular season. Uh, they were always tough and tenacious on defense and, and really uh, very disciplined on offense with backdoor cuts and, and you know, the, what would p- some people would call the typical Ivy league offenses, but they executed flawlessly. And, you know, in the NCAA tournament in the second round, we only beat them by seven. And that is a team, and it's not necessarily where I'm saying that those players are still on this team. That's not the case uh, for a lot of those players, but that system is still in place. That tenacity, that will that they bring to the table is still in place. So I think this is a great test in the sense that uh, after we play Hartford, which I, I think is going to be another one of those, you know, wide open games. I want to see these guys focus on, again, taking teams out of the game early and and focusing on the defense, focusing on the momentum, executing on offense, because against Yale, Yale's going to give us some problems with execution. A lot, especially on defense, they they run their plays to a T. And, and, you know, some of the issues that we've had in the early season with uh, not, you know, with not rotating well on defense. The, this offense is meant to exploit stuff like that. And that's how they've beaten teams like Miami. So uh, that'll be an interesting thing to kind of look at when we play uh, Yale next weekend. I think the one other thing to keep an eye on, Coach K mentioned this week that Trey Jones is dealing with some minor hamstring uh, issues, not ones that would prevent him from playing, but that might limit his playing time. So, uh, and he didn't seem shy about using Jordan Goldwire for long stretches, at least against Stetson. So um, I'll be curious to see how much uh, Jordan Goldwire plays in place of Trey Jones, because it does seem like Coach K likes having one of them on the floor. It'd be ideal if it was more like Trey Jones, 33 to 35 minutes to game and Jordan Goldwire, five to seven, um, rather than Trey Jones, 25 and Jordan Goldwire, 15. So uh, particularly against Yale, who is, as Jason mentioned, a tougher opponent um, to see how much, uh, how much playing time Trey Jones has to get for, for Duke to, to put away that tough Bulldogs team. Hey, by the uh, way, Jordan got- Goldwire, Jordan Goldwire played really well against Stetson. Um, I, 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 it was Stetson, but still, I thought Goldwire, um, it, if you'd asked me in the preseason, you know, if Goldwire was going to play meaningful minutes in meaningful games, I would have said meaningfully no. Um, he had 11 minutes against Indiana. He played 20 plus minutes against Stetson. Goldwire, you know, this kid's legit. He, he deserves to be here. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentlemen of Bird Campbell, PA, with law offices in Florida and Texas. Bird Campbell means business. If you have legal business needs in Orlando, Dallas, or in the Gulf Coast, Find Bird Campbell at B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-L-L dot com. So guys, before we before we wrap it up here, I did want to quickly um, touch on the football team who got their, uh, their bowl bid today. Duke is going to be playing Temple in Shreveport on December 27th. Uh, I don't think any of us are going to be in attendance. Shreveport is somewhat of a hard place to get to uh, during, uh, I guess, during any part of the year, but especially on short notice. Um, 
uh, thoughts? I guess Donald, I'll start with you. Any thoughts about Duke's bowl selection? The end of the the end of the football season here. Anything else about about bowl season that you wanted to touch on? I mean, I I think in the end, you know, when it comes to the bowl selection, we were we were kind of expecting us to be in one of these last bowl picks um, uh, in the ACC tie-ins with it either being hard at Dallas bowl or now the first responder bowl, um, the Gasparilla bowl or this independence bowl. I think it's going to be an intriguing matchup against temple uh, because we've never played temple, but temple is a pretty decent team. I don't know if you guys have seen them play football this year, but they have been a pretty uh, tough out for teams this year. But one thing that's kind of interesting about the independence bowl uh, on our front is that David Cutcliffe, uh, a coach is, in the Hall of Fame for this bowl game because with Ole Miss, he has gone to this bowl game and won three times. So he is familiar with Shreveport, and I'm sure he's familiar with uh, the all the, I won't say hoopla, but all of the things are surrounding this particular bowl game because he's been here three different occasions. So uh, I think that would be something that kind of ties in well and hopefully will uh, motivate our guys to uh, get one last win uh, of the of the season in Shreveport. All right, Jason, quick thoughts on Duke's bowl selection. So uh, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but all the great songwriters, if you go throughout history, the greatest song, every single one of them have aspired to write beautiful, wonderful, amazing songs about Christmas in Shreveport. Either that or they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Shreveport. I was like, I was like where is he going with this? I was like, what is he doing with this? <laughs> Shreveport? Oh, God. No, there will be literally dozens of people in attendance, I think. That's all I have to well, say. Look, I, wait, hold on. I'm, I'm glad. Hey, making a bowl game matters. It's good that we made a bowl game. Getting a chance to get eight wins is a really good thing. The extra practice, I know Cutcliffe loves the extra practice. The, all, these are all good things. Shreveport. <sighs> to be Shreveport. fair, Shreveport is only like a three-hour drive from my parents. In, uh, they, they live in Dallas-Fort Worth. So if, if I was – I'm going down there for Christmas, but I, I have to be back here for work like right after that. So I am going to miss this game, but if it used to be one of those games that was on the 26th. Um, and if it was on the 26th, I would have made it because it was, it would have been a quick day trip uh, over to the game and then back in time for me to get back for work. But uh, with it being on the 27th, I'm going to have to watch this one on TV boys. Sorry guys. I've got two friends in new Orleans who said they weren't going. So I was like, <laughs> but they, they're in new Orleans. I, like, they, I mean, I, new Orleans, it's, I am it's the sure. City on the earth. I am sure that um, that the Shreveport Chamber of Commerce will be upset at me for saying this, and and I, there are probably people there who who are Jason. I, we're missing out on valuable advertising dollars here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there, I'm sure there are people in Shreveport who are delightful who never ever ever want to leave. It's probably a wonderful community, but there is no better argument for the fact that there are too many bowl games than the fact that there's a bowl game in Streetport. All right. Well, with that, I do <laughs> want to touch on I want to touch on one more basketball topic before we before we get to parting shots. Um, this week was it this week? Last week, the NCAA released their uh, their initial version of the net, which is their new college basketball ranking system that's replacing the RPI. And uh, it was 
It was not great. Hey, wait. You, but, by the way, do you know yeah. what NET stands for? No, do you know I actually Net? don't. Donald, do you know what it stands for? Nope. It's a good, it it's stands, a good acronym. Like it, it is. It stands for not exactly thinking. Because ah, yes. It's very good. <laughs> that works good. Yeah. Jason, Jason why, don't you, why don't you inform the people a little more about the NET? I have a question for the NCAA. Why did you release this this early? The data. No, no, no is... wait, wait, stop, stop. Go, go yeah. deeper than that. Why I... did they release this? Well, no, 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 no. I, because <laughs> I, I believe in transparency, and and I think it's good for us along the way to be able to track and see these kind of things. Look, the bracketologists—they desperately want more information. They want to know what the what the NCAA is going to be. Um, looking at what the selection committee is going to be looking at in the room and the net is going to be one of the key things that they look at i don't know why uh, what idiot what fool in the ncaa's pr office or whatever the hell they, des- they decide these things who decide to release the data at this point because right now with this many games played the data is mush it's nothing it doesn't it, it, it's cr- okay so you're going to love this so oregon Oregon was number 39 in the very first, the initial rankings of the net. They played a game against Texas Southern. They should have won. They lost that game. They, they fell because they lost that game to Texas Southern. They had been 39. Do you, do you know how far they fell? They fell 70 spots in the rankings. They fell from 39 to 106 because of one game. Iowa, Iowa fell from number 15 to number 28. Do you know why Iowa fell from 15 to 28? They didn't play a game. They fell because they had beaten Oregon, and now suddenly the net decided that Oregon sucked, and so the net dropped Iowa by 20 spots. What are What is the NCAA doing with this thing? The rankings are, are they're, they're totally crazy at this early point in the season, and what's even worse, there are, there are a number of really good rankings out there. ESPN does the strength of record. They do the BPI. Ken Pomeroy has rankings. Jeff Sagarin has rankings. All of those folks have put a lot of time, thought, computer power. They put stuff into coming up with their rankings. The NCAA, I think, the all those other models, and they went, oh, there are a lot of good ideas in there. We'll use some of those, and then we'll not use some other really good ideas. Do you know that this ranking system, the net, it's so freaking stupid that they have offensive and defensive efficiency. That's a good thing. That's what Ken Pomeroy is all about, offensive and defensive efficiency. But the net, the way the NCAA has put it together, they don't care who you are playing. There's no allowance in the rankings for your opponent for those offensive and defensive efficiency things. So if you shoot really well against North Carolina, it's the same as if you shoot really well against Coastal Carolina. That makes no sense at all. And and the last thing is, remember when this came out. Remember when when they first announced this uh, back in the spring, I think it was, or early summer. And and I was here on the podcast talking about it, and I ranted about the margin of victory cap that they have. The NCAA put an incredibly dumb 10-point cap on margin of victory, which means that when Duke beat the bejesus out of Kentucky by 34 – as far as the NCAA was concerned, as far as the net was concerned, that's like Duke won by 10 points. To say that that game is basically the same from a competitive standpoint as the game where we beat Auburn by six is absurd. And it shows how flawed the net is. And 
I just hope that the NCAA selection committee folks will listen to everyone because there's no one defending this thing. Everyone says it's dumb, it's stupid, it's flawed, it doesn't make any sense. I hope that they will listen to the chorus of every other smart person in the country saying the net sucks and that they will disregard it when it comes time to seed teams. I just don't get why they would take, like like you said, Jason, there are so many good uh, established respected metric systems like like tracking systems like Ken Palm, which we talk all the time about on this show and the Sagarin rankings and BPI, all of which are are considered like mature models. And the NCAA, as you said, is just like, well, we'll just make up our own and it probably won't be as rigorous. Um, and that's I'll the, I'll, that's I'll, the part that's so frustrating. And I'll tell you something interesting. Um, Nate Silver of 538. Nate Silver is one of the smart statistical people around he may be the smartest statistician guy or that there is out there and nate loves sports um nate is really circumspect nate silver is not someone who makes brash statements he's not like me he doesn't you know get in a froth he doesn't say things unless he's really examined them and he's really thought about them nate silver when the ncaa released the net um, he came out on Twitter and just blasted it. And, and again, this is not a guy who does hot takes. This is not a guy who who says things casually that he has to take back in the future. He said it, it's incredibly flawed. Um, it's like it's designed to to fail. Um, and for Nate Silver, perhaps Wait, you the missed smartest... the kicker. Yeah, go. He called it the worst ranking system of all time. There, there you have it. He started with he led with that. And that, people, that tells me that, this that, a, yeah, he led with that. Th- this thing is really a big problem. Well, I think for me, they've got, they've got what three months to fix it, four months to fix it. Well, they, they they can just ignore it if they choose to. If they're smart, they'll just ignore it. They are also given Ken Pomeroy's rankings. They're also given the BPI, and I think they're also given the Sagarin rankings as well as the polls. I, I don't know why they need their own ranking anyway. Just just use Pomeroy and the BPI. Donald, why don't you why don't you finish this up here? Yeah, I I, I mean. When I said they shouldn't have put it out, because like you guys have said, there's so many great ones out there that people already look to. They already use them, as you guys are saying. They already kind of look at these, like uh, Sagarin and, and, and Ken Palm. But at the end of the day, just uh, let's just go back to Jason's example for a second. We beat Kentucky by 34. In this rankings, it's only, mentioned, it's only basically Duke by 10. Kentucky is 61st in these in the initial rankings. We were, I think, what, we were what, eighth or something like that. But at the end of the day, just like Jason said, if one team loses, it knocks down another team that has played them, which then just creates a domino effect. So if Kentucky loses to somebody, they drop 70 points. We drop 70 points. Now our our ranking is that, or not 70 points, but we drop in the rankings because Kentucky dropped, and then because we dropped. All of these teams that we've played will also have to worry about dropping in these rankings. And and we're not, I think the NCAA is just, they should be smarter than that. Like they should know that when someone, when they have a ranking system that lists Loyola Marymount as the number 10 team in the country, I don't care what the record is. The eye test has to account for something. And I think with when it comes to these rankings, they put them out and expected people to just go ahead and respect them. But there's so many other ones out there. 
it was so bad the 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 discrepancy between them that they just have to i mean they have to consider starting that over but at the same time i feel like when it comes to the room i hope that there are people in that selection committee room who are smart enough to look at these rankings and go we have to consider something else donald you're giving them a lot of credit and uh i know i know i'm and, i'm basically and putting it out there as a, as a hope and a prayer exactly all right uh, I think that's enough on crummy rating systems. We will certainly touch on the net again, uh, but let's let's finish up here as we always do. Uh, we'll do player of the week picks, and then we'll do parting shots. So, Donald, I'll start with you. Give me your player of the week. Uh, so I was going back and forth uh, today between R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson, and in the end, I went with Zion Williamson for one new reason. Uh, he only missed six shots. I mean... We That's can talk about everything reason. else by these beasts, but when you only miss six shots a week, you got to be player of the week. Uh, Jason, do you agree with Donald Zion Williamson? Uh, he had a fine week. He's a beast. He's amazing. My player of the week. Um, I want to talk about a statistic first. So the stat is assist to turnover ratio. The way you derive the assist to turnover ratio is you put the assists on the top and the turnovers on the bottom, and you divide. It's a real simple kind of thing. But you know what? You can't do an assist-to-turnover ratio. It's not possible. The math doesn't work if your turnovers are zero because division by zero is undefined. It can't happen. You know who had zero turnovers this week? Trey Jones, our point guard. You know how many assists he had? How about 15? 15 assists and zero turnovers. Is that good? That's, a, that's, that's silly. That's, that's great, crazy. <laughs> that is like, that's just a wacky number for a point guard. 15 assists and zero turnovers. Oh, and by the way, he is the anchor. He is the focus. He is the beginning point of the defense that Duke is playing that, according to Ken Pomeroy, is the third best defense in the country. Trey Jones was my player of the week. All right. So I'm I'm going a little out there for my player of the week pick and – um, it's, it's partially because of his performance against Stetson, but also because I'll give the quick background. I was, uh, filling in for the guys over at WXDU, uh, on press row on Saturday night against Stetson. So I was, I was, uh, sitting in, in the front row in Cameron, which was very cool. My first time getting to do that. So, uh, first of all, thank you to, to WXDU for giving me that opportunity. Um, unfortunately there wasn't really, there wasn't really a whole lot to cover after the game, uh, Duke beat the brains out of Stetson. So I, I think the three of us were talking before the game about, oh, what kind of questions could I go ask some of the players? And I was like, I feel bad. They don't, they're, they're, there's no need to ask the, 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 the real questions when, when they just came off like a 70 point win. So um, I got, I got one quote from the game. We'll play it here now. Uh, but my player of the week is Justin Robinson. And you'll, uh, well, you'll let him hear about it. You'll, you'll, you'll hear him explain it. Hey, Justin. So you had. Do you mind if I? Uh, you had 13 points tonight. You didn't miss a shot, but your dad caught one pass. Who had the better day? Oh, he definitely had the better day. <laughs> uh, no, I saw him over there. He was jumping around. He was having a great time. Nice, nice, great job tonight. Thank you. So yeah, uh, Justin Robinson, uh, a great game against Stetson. Uh, excellent work by him, and also by his father. Uh, who was there in the crowd as he often is at Cameron? Let's finish up now with. Our wait, 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 wait. Shots. Hold, hold, hold on, hold on. 
you got to go into the Duke locker room. You yes. were presumably only feet away from all the other guys in the team. And all you yep. did was ask Justin Robinson one question. Yep. <laughs> you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't the day for it. I, 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 I didn't have it in me. Um, I, I, I understand. I understand. Zion Williamson, let me tell you. Zion Williamson, big dude. Real, real big dude. Uh, <laughs> that's uh that's the kind of insight you get here on the dbr podcast people we are <laughs> yeah big we are really on big the game guy. just a just an enormous fellow absolutely <laughs> absolutely huge uh can we do uh can, can we do parting shots do you guys mind if we do parting shots and then we'll and then we'll get out of here uh yeah, jason jason why don't you go ahead with your parting shot so uh there was an article i came across in um forbes uh, Forbes magazine was writing and Forbes has predicted that um, that Zion Williamson will earn <laughs> ready for the number a billion dollars during his professional basketball career. One billion dollars. Forbes points out that the billion dollar figure has only been done three times. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods and Floyd Mayweather. Have each rate uh, have each earned a billion dollars. It's believed that uh, that uh, LeBron James will will get to a billion before his career is done. This is not just salary. This is also endorsement dollars. But um, uh, this writer for Forbes says that Zion Williamson will join that billion dollar club, and it's not just about his ridiculous basketball abilities. They point out it's um, it's because he's so likable. He's so charismatic. Uh, he's smiling all the time. They they say that the uh, the endorsement folks out there, the people who who are looking for athletes to to you know hawk their products for them, they're going to be beating down the door to get to Zion Williamson the moment he leaves Duke and the moment he is legally uh, you know according to the NCAA allowed to talk to these people. Um, uh, and I I just. I just wanted to say that I think we're really lucky to have him for the time we have him. He's, he's so much fun to watch. And at first, when I read this article, I was like a billion, that's just crazy. You know, you have no idea how good he's going to be. And then I kind of think about it a little bit and I'm like, yeah, billion. That sounds about right. Zion, enjoy it, baby. Cause, cause uh, you got a lot of money coming to you. There will be, there will be stories about the war for Zion's shoe contract. Oh, 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 believe yeah. it. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. That's. I mean, maybe he's. Maybe it's already locked up, and maybe he's already signed, sealed, delivered to Nike. But in the event that he's not, oh boy, um, you we 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 will hear about it. Uh, and and I'll I'll predict right now whatever contract it is he signs will set a record for a rookie. Um, oh, look, he won't, absolutely. It, yeah, it won't surpass what what Steph Curry is making from Under Armour. By the way, Steph supposedly has made Under Armour like two or three billion dollars. Um. Uh, you know, there, there are other huge contracts, certainly, you know, Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan, the deals that they had with Nike, where they have a piece of the brand, the Jordan brand and, and the Tiger Woods um, brands, uh, you know, are, are worth many, many billions of dollars. But for a rookie, Zion Williamson is going to I, I, I won't be surprised if it's upwards of five million a year. And it's worth noting that DeAndre Ayton, who was the number one pick in the draft last year, just signed a one million dollar a year deal. I think Zion will be five. He may even be as much as ten million a year. All right, Donald, what do you got? Uh, I mean, first of all, most importantly, uh, Zion Williamson. I am a size eleven, so if if some fell off the back of a truck, just you know, send them to me. I'll try them on, make sure they fit. 
But uh, I, <laughs> I, I want to talk about a guy who uh, we've actually talked about quite a bit on the podcast uh, in previous years. Um, and is a guy from uh, Louisville uh, by the name of Montrez Harrell, who now plays for the LA Clippers. And I, I'm talking about him because he has become one of the more exciting players to watch so far in the season here in the NBA. Um, you know, he started with Houston, was there for a couple of years, moved to the LA Clippers last year, and has been one of those guys that you know was scoring about seven points a game, getting about three, four rebounds a game. Uh, but when we talked about him at Louisville, we always talked about the fact that he had a ton of energy and he brought that energy every single night. He may not have scored a lot of points. He may not have grabbed a lot of rebounds on that particular night, but he always brought 100% of his energy. And that has translated and so and, and it's clicked so far this year. He has almost doubled his point totals uh, and basically his stats all across the board. He's at 16.3 points per game. He's averaging almost eight rebounds a game, almost two blocks a game. And his his energy, he works hard in the paint, has been the reason, one of the big reasons why the Clippers are in first place in the Western Conference right now. So uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to him. If you guys have not watched uh, a lot of NBA this season, you're looking for people who are high energy, work ethic, and honestly, people that uh, like guys like Zion and, and you see a lot of his game uh, in guys like Montrezl Harrell. Montrezl Harrell is a guy that you should be watching because uh, when it's, it's he's not putting 35 points up, he's not doing James Harden crossovers, but he's bringing that work ethic, and that is something that is winning basketball games for the LA Clippers, and it's really really cool to see. Hey Donald, who does he remind you of? Dennis Rodman. Well, like, I was gonna say I was gonna say Draymond. I was gonna say I think he's playing. He he doesn't shoot three pointers the way Draymond Green does. He doesn't shoot them um, at all. Like. Although, <laughs> Yeah, although I mean, Draymond probably shouldn't shoot three pointers, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but uh, but in terms of energy and and ability to to you know be really active in the lane, challenging shots, playing really good defense, being opportunistic, um, I, he reminds me a lot of Draymond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dennis he doesn't Rodman have the is, a, is, a, is a pretty lofty comparison. <laughs> I mean, Dennis Rodman was like was like the greatest obviously he's the greatest at being Dennis Rodman it'd be very hard to be Dennis Rodman but he was I mean he was something he was something different in so many ways right but uh, I feel like that sort of that when I talk about the energy that that Harold is bringing it is similar to what Dennis Rodman brought in nightly basis I mean Dennis Rodman wasn't a seven foot tall dude he was six foot eight and it's you know same as Montrez Harold but when he's going after rebounds when he's going up for shots it's like he's the tallest guy on the floor. And I think that sort of energy and that sort of work ethic is something that a lot of college basketball players should be watching. Montrezl Harrell just hey, hasn't Donald, played just, against Zion Williamson yet. Yeah. So and, we'll see. And Donald, just so, we're, just so we're clear, Dennis Rodman had, had multiple seasons where he had more than 18 rebounds per game. Right. I mean, Dennis Rodman was a freak. He was a freak. Like yes. a freak rebounding the ball. You should go back. You're probably not old enough like I am. We talked about this at the beginning. Go back. Look at some of Dennis Rodman's stats. I, I mean, come on now. I'm just, from Detroit he now. Was, bad boys. I am the I am the oh. I am the author of the Dennis Rodman career book. Like, come on now. All right. That that Let's, dude uh, could fly out. Would, he could rebound. What? He was Mr. Rebound. Yeah. No, even I remembered I remember Dennis Rodman even at the end of his career. And I'm as we have discussed at length, I'm not that old. So 
Um, anyway, let me uh, let me finish it up here. Uh, doing one of one of the DBR podcast's favorite pastimes, uh, which is mocking the University of North Carolina, who this week signed 67-year-old Mac Brown uh, to be their head football coach, a guy who has been out of football coaching for, what, five years now? He used to be UNC's uh, football coach, uh, but they decided that in the wake of the Larry Fedora firing, the best thing they could do was to hire a guy who hasn't coached in a few years and who is probably too old to be, like, re-energizing the program. But... If the uh, if the light blue faithful think that that's the best thing to do, well, I suppose I suppose that's that. It, it sort of speaks to the silliness, I think, of the the football coaching carousel and and how guys move around like crazy. Um, and you sometimes end up with these situations where they fire the head coach because they think, well, we have to we have to change something, and then they're like, well, we can't get we can't get exactly who we wanted, so why don't we just hire one of the old guys? Uh, Mac Brown apparently still spends a lot of the year in Chapel Hill anyway. So he's, I guess, or in North Carolina. So he's a, so he's a local guy, but um, seems like a weird move, doesn't it? Uh, in the sense <laughs> that like, I mean, if you're thinking about it, like it's not like Bill Snyder, right? That, that is, this is the comparison I'm thinking with Bill Snyder. He retired from Kansas state. And then like a year later, a year and a half later or something like that, he came back and is now about to retire again from Kansas state. I mean, he last coached at UNC what was it 96 90 95 or 96 so over 20 years ago and he's now going back to quote unquote reinvigorate that program and bring it you know bring it back to what it was before he left like i i don't know if going back 20 years to the fountain and trying to tap the fountain of youth that is mac brown uh is what unc should be doing but if, like you said, Sam, if, if that's what they think is going to happen, uh, you know, oh, more power to them. And uh, Mac Brown is now on my hit list. So, so guys, wait, uh, before we go, uh, Sam, you said you were going to mock Carolina. I want to take a quick moment to mock Carolina as well. Uh, guys, this past week, the, the, the big event for the ACC was the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And um, do you all know that uh, every single ACC team was either victorious or like really close. I mean, like if you look at the game scores, like we lost a lot of games, but like one or two points, every ACC team was really competitive or won their game, except for one team, the North Carolina Tar Heels, who got spanked. They got just pounded by the Michigan Wolverines. So aside from Carolina, the ACC again won the ACC Big Ten Challenge and was really impressive. I mean, even the teams that were supposed to get blown out or not be competitive, every ACC team was right in there except for the Tar Heels. Hey, Carolina, thanks a lot, guys. And by the way, with Duke's victory, Duke is now, wait for it, 18-2. and 18-2 and two in the history of the Challenge. That's that's a ridiculous record because remember, every time we're playing a team that the Big Ten says, this is a team that can compete with Duke. It's not like we're getting matched up against the bottom of the league when we're in the top. We're always playing a top Big Ten team. We are 18-2 and two all time in the Big Ten Challenge. No one else is even close to that. The closest you can get is Virginia is 14-6. and six. North Carolina, by the way, 10-10. and 10. Just 500. They are one of the worst teams in the ACC, in ACC history in the challenge. Thanks Tar Heels. And uh, you know, a couple of things. One, I, when you're looking at, when you're thinking about that stat, I think the the part that says we're 18 and two, isn't the most, you know, ex like ex 
it's not the biggest thing for me. The one that was the biggest part of that was the fact that we've been doing this challenge for 20 years. It just doesn't seem like it's been going on that long. Um, but just the fact that we've been just dom- so dominant in this series has been incredible. Another fun note, um, Maryland has not won in the ACC challenge since they switched to the Big Ten. Maybe that's karma. Um, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I maybe that's that. karma. Yeah, yeah. But they have By the not way, won since they made this old switcheroo. Uh, and maybe they should just maybe they should be playing more ACC games because they're not good at them at all. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I'm we've we've discussed at length today about how old all of us are. But I think of the ACC Big Ten Challenge at, at my age as being like an eternal thing. Uh, like it's basically just been there the whole time I've been a Duke basketball fan. So it, it's it's cool. And I like that it forces Duke at least every other year to go on the road in non-conference play and, and play good teams. Uh, it, it's produced some some really memorable games. I specifically remember the 09-10 season when uh, Duke went to Wisconsin and played a really tough game. And uh, that was that was on the road to Duke winning the national championship. They lost that game. Um, but I remember that game being a sort of a seminal game for that team to kind of learn who they were and, and, and learn a lot more about themselves. So um, here's to many more years of the ACC big 10 challenge guys. I think we'll, I think we'll, we'll call it there. Um, plenty to talk about this week. I'm sure we'll be back uh, in a week or so uh, to, to review these, this next set of games before Duke goes on the exam break, the annual exam break. Uh, so for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I'm Sam Klein. This has been episode 137 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home.